Good evening. It is good to see each of you. It is good to be together tonight to worship God. If you're a guest, uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. If you would be opening your Bibles to Luke, the 12th chapter, we're going to have slides tonight, but the particular reading is not going to be on the slides. And so if you'll be turning to Luke 12, in a few minutes we'll be reading from there. And if you need to borrow a Bible that is in the, the rack there in your pew, uh, it'll be on 921 will be the page number, I believe, for that. Uh, it is kind of hard to believe how quickly time passes that here we are at the end of a year. It's our last Sunday night of the year. We want to uh, remind all of our ladies about an exciting new addition in a, in a form of a class or a ministry that will be taking place this next year. The first Tuesday night of each month, there will be a ladies class. And it will begin at 6 o'clock each first Tuesday night of the month. And Lindsay McPherson is leading that group. And so uh, make your plans, ladies, if that's something that, that you have the opportunity to take advantage of and, and uh, desire to do so. And you can contact her with uh, any questions that you might might have, but we just want all the ladies to know that you are invited to that. Also, I think it's good from time to time, as you know, as a congregation, if you've been around here very long, uh, you know that we don't talk numbers a lot. Uh, what's important is souls, but yet souls it, are represented sometimes in the numbers. So each year we try to at least pause for a moment and think about how God has blessed us and to kind of refocus and say, what will it look like next year? And let's give God our very best. But on the slide here, you see uh, the, the best record that we can have. And thankfully, there have been several baptisms in the last few weeks. And so from the time this was originally made, I've tried to adjust a little bit and I may be off a little bit, uh, but it looks like there's around 45 baptisms this past year and glory be to God for that. Uh, we see also 20 responses. We see births of 18 and deaths of our family members of six. Uh, we see the total place in membership and that includes also uh, baptisms in there and, uh, and I'm the one that played with those figures is why they don't add up there so don't blame anybody but me on that but I didn't know how to do that and I could try to explain it to you but it's not worth it just trust me that's kind of close for right now uh, but the uh, attendance and contribution each of those numbers uh, are higher and again it's not a numbers game but if you're wondering uh, because of Wilson County's school break every October taking up three weekends uh, our average would be a lot higher on all of those numbers uh, if you could just leave October out of the picture. Uh, we can't do that. That's the life of our church family. Uh, but we'd be well over 1,100 if, if October was out of the picture. Uh, but that's where we are right now, uh, counting every, every Sunday and every Wednesday night and all. And we're thankful that uh, there's growth. We give God the glory in that. And I'd like for you to just think for a moment. Sitting around you right now are many that were not here a year ago. When we talked about this on the last Sunday night a year ago, uh, many were not here. They, they were not Christians, or they had not moved to this area. And now several of you are here. You're, you're babes in Christ, or you're new to the area, but yet you're a vital part of the life of this congregation. It's pretty exciting to think that a year from now, if Lord wills time, who else will be sitting here? Uh, very well would be someone that has become our close friends, uh, someone that has become dear to our heart, dear to our church family. 
And let's make sure that we never lose sight of souls, that truly we can be a part of the kingdom as God has designed the kingdom to be. As we think tonight of, of a topic that I guess there'll be some in the audience that I think, well, I'm much too young for a topic like this, but yet I think about things that I heard literally in my teenage years that I still think about them because it made an impact upon me and it helped form some of my thoughts and some of my behavior. And so I hope this is one of those lessons that wherever we are in life, uh, that we will use it to God's glory and whatever ways we need to uh, mold ourselves or allow the will of God to mold us, that we're willing to do that. I also don't want this lesson to be uh, a lesson that stirs up false guilt. Uh, we all have things, if we could go back in time, that we wish we could do differently. And it's, this isn't one of those lessons for anyone to say, wow, look at, look at things that you did wrong and, and now let's spend an evening regretting that. And so if there's anything in that that comes across in that way, uh, I've, I've totally misspoken. Uh, but as we think about the theme for this month, celebrate victory. I want you to think about something, not from a worldly standpoint, because a worldly standpoint, this would be perceived as negative. But from a spiritual standpoint, it ought to be victorious. How can you pass from this earth? And whatever influence, values, and valuables that you have, how can you still direct them in such a way that they will be a blessing to the kingdom? Have you considered that in your life? Tonight, I hope we will consider that. And I hope you'll give real thought to that. And, and maybe there's some of us that need to spend a few weeks or a few months thinking and praying about that and really kind of refocusing how we look and approach the end of our life because surely the kingdom is that important. And so when we think about being victorious in our, in our inheritance, the first thing that I'd ask you is you think it's easy. I'd suggest to you that Dealing with who we are and what we own has never been easy. I'd suggest to you that passing it on to the next generation in a way that is meaningful and impactful in their life and a blessing for the kingdom has never been easy. Let's fast forward one slide and we're going to come back to that one, the next slide. For example, look at the beginning of time. Think about Adam, the way he could, he could put his arms around his children. And he, he could say, sons, daughters... I leave the entire world to you. Isn't that amazing to think about? But yet, he still had a son that was murdered and a son who was a murderer. So it didn't solve all of life's problems to be able to have the whole world to leave to your children. Or think about the example of Jacob. Jacob had a lot of blessings because God gave them to him. God gave Jacob a ton of physical and financial blessings. But you know, it didn't take away the grief that he bore in having wives that were jealous of each other and children that were jealous of each other and even having his sons sell one of his sons into slavery. 
dealing with finances and making sure that it impacts the family in a good way. It didn't happen that way for Jacob for the most part. Oh, we think about King David. He had such an impact with his kingdom that historians can't hardly refer to that era without calling it the Davidic kingdom. In other words, he grew the kingdom to have enormous power and wealth. And you say, well, how did that work passing it on? Well, he passed it on to Solomon and, and Solomon seemed to do well. But you know what happened the third generation? Rehoboam, after Solomon's death, didn't have the kingdom but a few days and he lost half of it. Lost. And you'll notice in a few quotes coming up in a few minutes, that's our challenge. Is how do we do something that's meaningful and impactful, not just on the next generation, but even the next generation in the kingdom? Let's go back a slide now. And, and if you have your Bibles, I want to mention one, but then I want to take some time to read in Luke 12. Is it, is it easy? Well, let's think about, innate is an unusual inheritance story in the way we usually think of inheritance, but nevertheless, it's an inheritance story. You remember the prodigal son? That's an inheritance story. Here, here's a father that's going to pass on what should have been blessings to his son, but how did his son use them? His son used, literally used what was given by the father in a way to hurt him. Now, I'm not saying as one generation, we can control the next generation. And so therefore, that becomes the challenge. But shouldn't we as a present generation give thought to how can I pass on my values and my valuables in such a way that it would be a blessing to the next generation and not a curse? Not only was the younger son hurt, by the inheritance. But remember when we get a glimpse of the son that stayed at home, it didn't help the family unity very much because when the younger son came home, he wouldn't even come in the house with him. And all of this in some sense goes back to how an inheritance was misused. Well, let's see another inheritance story. They're all throughout the Bible. Let's see this one in the 12th chapter. Notice in verse 13 of Luke, Luke 12 and 13. Then one from the crowd said to him, teacher, this is talking to Jesus, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Think there's ever been any friction in a family over inheritance? Don't raise your hand. That, isn't it amazing? That, that's, that is so, so common. Why? Because rule of thumb, we tend to value money about as much as we value anything except for Christians. Right? We would value a lot of things more than money, right? But I tell you what, when you start seeing inheritance come into play, all of a sudden our values are tested. And so here's Jesus in the setting of a lesson and he's getting interrupted. Not by some deep theological question. He's getting interrupted by someone who in their culture, probably a younger sibling, we don't know this for sure, but in their culture, it very likely could have gone like this. An older brother was going to receive all or a greater portion of the inheritance. And so a younger sibling is, is wanting 
part of the inheritance, a greater portion of the inheritance. And so he sees the power that Jesus has in dealing with people. And so he interrupts Jesus to say, Jesus, help me out here. Tell my brother what he needs to give to me about the inheritance. And notice what Jesus' answer is. He said to him, verse 14, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And then he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable to him saying, now you have this? Jesus interrupted this man and says, I want you to settle the score. I want a greater portion of the inheritance. Jesus says, listen, that's not why I'm on this earth. I'm not on this earth to deal with things that are really not of great importance. But I will teach you a lesson. The things of greater importance don't have anything to do with what you're wanting to discuss right now. Your life isn't measured by the number of possessions that you have. We live in a world we, we, we're drawn by a fleshly nature, but yet as Christians, we're drawn into a spiritual calling that is a high calling. And our challenge is to really believe what does our life consist of? Does our life consist of the possessions that we possess? Or is the real deep meaning of your life based upon something else? And so Jesus teaches this story. Verse 16, he spoke a parable. He made this up to illustrate his point. The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful and he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I'll do this. I'll pull down my barns and I'll build greater and there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, so you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat and drink and be merry. And God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Now notice his second statement. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich toward God. Jesus, what's your parable about? He says it's about a man who prospered. Instead of using his prosperity to further the kingdom, instead of using his prosperity to help other people, he used his prosperity all about himself so that he could build his trust in those riches. Hey, rich man, how are you gonna take care of yourself? Have you seen how big my barns are? I don't need anybody to take care of me. I have enough to take care of me for years to come. And Jesus says, there's one thing you haven't thought about. Tonight, your soul's required of you. You died tonight. Now, two questions. What good are these big barns going to do as it deals with your soul? Not any good. But then he goes ahead and throws in the next thing. And by the way, who's going to benefit now from those big barns? Oh, so you mean you can't take it with you? You see... The purpose of a man's life doesn't come from the abundance of the size of his barns. It has to do with what he, as a steward, does with all that God gives him. As a steward, are you being wise with your life? Are you being wise with your possessions? In such a way that God would look down upon your life right now and say, well done. When you look about in the future, 
and you think about the way you're going to leave this earth, have you prepared to leave this earth in a way that you, your possessions that you have steered, will they be a benefit to the kingdom? Will they be a benefit to the things that you believe in the very most? It's not always easy to die well. We're not going to take the time to read it, but 22 through 34 is where he develops things that sound very similar to the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 and 6, where he talks about how wise we are to not put our trust in possessions, but to put our trust in God. And it's in that setting, the way he says it in Matthew 6 and 33, is seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and his righteousness and all these things shall be added unto you. And so tonight, I want to share with you in the remaining time that we have four questions that I was reading a book called Leaving a Legacy written by Dan Garrett and Tim Woodruff. And there were, in, in the earlier part of the book, there were four questions that they said everyone ought to ask in order to help prepare themselves to be better stewards with what God has given them. Now, let's skip ahead a couple of slides. The first one is, who are my heirs? Oftentimes when we think about this and we think about passing and having heirs that we have left things behind, we generally think of financial dependence. Who is it that I'm going to uh, will my possessions to? But you know that there's things so much more valuable than valuables. What about your values? Have you been intentional in your living to invest in the next generation? Have you been intentional to pass those things behind? So with that in mind, we think about not only financial dependence, but we also think about relational connections. In other words, here's a list of, of individuals that you might think about when you think of who are your heirs. It could be your spouse, could be your children, your grandchildren, extended family, could be your church family, could be your close friends, teachers in your life and mentors or those that you have taught and mentored. It could be business and work relationships. It could be institutions and charities. You see, all of these, it's just a short list of the various relationships that over your lifetime you've probably invested in. What could you do intentionally to make sure that you leave something behind to them? Now it's not easy, especially when we can measure the tangibles of passing on possessions, we can kind of gauge and see how successful we are in it. Statistics say that only one out of 10 will pass on monetary wealth that will affect the third generation. So the first generation, and let's just use some common language. Oh, I've worked all my life because I want to leave behind a, a really good nest egg to help my children and grandchildren. Well, nine out of 10 that say that, their money will never help their grandchildren because what they leave behind that they spent a lifetime acquiring to leave behind 
nine out of 10 times the children will spend it all and usually within about 18 months to three years. And there won't be anything of what those nine out of 10 have worked a lifetime to store up to help the grandchildren. The reality is if you're passing it on to make a big, long lasting difference in your family, that rarely happens. It's a reality check. That just rarely happens. A Chinese scholar said 2,000 years ago, I'm not going to read the Chinese line, you can read that. I think it starts out fubu, but anyway, it says, wealth never survives three generations. Now we know that, that that's not a law, it does occasionally. But that's been the rule of thumb for thousands of years. As a matter of fact, an English proverb that was stated in the 13th century said, clogs to clogs in three generations. And the idea of that was the common man wore clogs that were wooden sole shoes. And he would work really hard to get himself into a class where he could afford leather shoes. And then he would work hard to pass that on to his children, but by the time his grandchildren came along, they generally would be back to clogs again. That's just kind of the way it works. John Dryden, an English poet, said, seldom three descents continue good. You see, that was the example that we saw scripturally earlier. David did really well spiritually. Now we know he had his flaws, but overall David did very well spiritually and David did very well financially. He passes it on to his child who for a while does well, but then doesn't do well spiritually at the end of his life and doesn't do well financially, putting an unbearable burden, a tax burden upon his people. And it is out of that mindset that the third generation acts upon the second generation that was far different from the first generation that that kingdom no longer experienced what it one time enjoyed. Well, David, what are you trying to say? I'm not trying to say anything specifically to you. That's decisions you have to make. I'm just saying to you, if you're working your whole life to store up something and you think that the safe thing to do is just leave it to all your descendants. If you want to do long and lasting good, I would urge you to leave a portion of it to the kingdom because the record would have it that the kingdom investing is going to do far better than investing in children. I'm not suggesting not to leave anything to your children. I'm not suggesting that at all. Don't read between the lines. Don't jump to conclusions. Let me just pause here and say this. Many in this auditorium right now, every week when you take your possessions in hand, the first thing you do is give to the Lord. When you sit down to write out a will, what are you doing? You're sitting down to write out a will to say, okay, the day I die, I am about to take care of all of my possessions. I can't imagine if I spent my whole life giving the first portion back to God, then sat down and say, here's what I'm going to do with everything that I leave behind and not giving the first generous gift back to God. I just can't imagine that. 
And what a great investment that is because statistically, that return will be far, far better than what any other return on earth could ever be. So what do I leave behind? Well, when we think of a list of things of what do I leave behind, here's a long list. And, and notice the first one is material possessions. That's usually what we immediately think of. But you know, you have people skills and you have an emotional IQ and you have character traits and intellectual traits and you have spiritual habits and life lessons and family tradition, core values, habits, gratitude, encouragement, affirmation, genetic inheritance, friendship, mentors. Hopefully you have a cause. You're part of the kingdom. It's far more important than any of us individually. What are you doing to leave those things behind? What is it that you could do that you could invest in the next generation and the third generation that would make a huge and a powerful impact? You know, I just like to use this, being this a, a personal example in the sense that it's my family, but really it's not me. It has to do with the generation uh, ahead of me. As I wrote this lesson this week, I couldn't help but think about the fact that my children were blessed to have grandparents that invested in them. And, and to be honest with you, I didn't know if the grandchildren realized the blessing that their grandparents had been to them until their grandparents' 50th anniversary. And their grandparents' 50th anniversary, the grandkids all spoke individually words of tribute to their grandparents. And I guess I just stood up there and tears in my eyes because it was the first time that I come to realize that they realized the huge impact that their grandparents had upon their lives. And so late this week, I just sent an email and, and I just, I sent it to Tracy's mom and dad and I sent it to my mom and dad and I said, look, you know, you know, and you know from what was said at the 50th anniversaries, the impact you have made on the kids' lives. What I need to know as a younger generation is how did you do it? Like it's obvious you were intentional. So how did you do it? In other words, they didn't just leave valuables, they left values instilled in their lives. And, and here's just a quick few things. And I'm not giving you this list to say, this is exactly how you ought to do it. I'm giving you this list to say, what are you doing? What am I doing? What are we doing to invest in the next generation? If it's our flesh and blood, or if it's a neighbor down the street, if it's, if it's whoever that God places in our life, what are we doing to invest in the next generation? Here are some things that dad said. Every time they would come visit, his goal was to teach them one proverb of scripture out of, out of the book of Proverbs. Mom would always try to teach them a verse that would cause them to love the Bible. They were very intentional about teaching them to give. I think I've mentioned to you before, dad would sell cattle and he would save one calf back for the grandchildren. And when they were young, and this went all up through the years, he would bring them their money in $1 bills. And so he would have several hundred dollars in one dollar bills and each of the kids would get their stack and they would count it out in tens. He would have them set in the living room, make stacks of 10. And when they would get all their money stacked up in tens, he would say, now what do we do with the first part of money we get? Those little kids, they would say, we give to God. Dad said, that's right. So take one of your stacks and Sunday when the basket comes around, you give it back to God. I think I've shared with you. I remember one year, 
Lacey had kind of caught on to this. She said, I don't want to give mine to God. And dad said, you don't, you don't have to give that, that stack to God, but we'll just give God these other nine. And she said, I'll give my stack to God. You realize, you realize the lesson that was taught that was such a valuable lesson that was very, very intentional. When they would go to visit them, they would always study the Bible together. When the kids were 12 years old, individually, they would take them on a trip just to make sure that they were bonded with them as they entered their teenage years. When they were in college, they would go once every year or two and just stay in the town in which they were in college and just hang out with them for a weekend. You see, all of those things were things that probably the kids were just saying, oh, that's neat, that's what Grandma and Pop-Pop do. But to Grandma and Pop-Pop, it was very intentional investing in the lives of the future generations. Leon mentioned several things very similar about teaching scripture and about having times of, of making learning fun and about when we go on family trips together, one of the most meaningful times is how we close the day in a devotional together and all the grandkids, they treasure that time together. We're all different. What you're going to be able to pass on will not be something that I just mentioned. But all of us, all of us needs to constantly looking, be looking back at the next generation. Whether it's our kids, our grandkids. What can we intentionally do to leave something far more than valuables, but that we can leave values behind? How are we going to pass these on? When we think about this, how we're going to pass them on, we, we see this long list. And again, if you're talking about money, you sit down and you write out a will or estate planning. That's pretty simple. But if you're going to pass on values and, and faith, sometimes it's done through family stories, Bible stories, proverbs, confessions, mission statements, sharing life's lessons, personal examples, conversations, talk of faith. Holding up heroes, books, compliments, mementos, documents, lists, travels, philanthropy. Why? Why would we want to pass these on? I'd like for you to notice in this next list that at the top in the yellow there, there's a question that says true of you. In other words, not everything on this page hopefully is true of all of us. Uh, hopefully there's some things that you read and say, no, that's false. I'm not, I don't believe that. But here's some things when we think about our motives. Why would we want to invest in the next generation? Why would we want to give values? Do we believe you can't take it with you? Do we believe in easy come, easy go? Oh, I, I, don't, I don't care what my kids do with the valuables. Hey, it came easy to me. Let it go easy. Or is your mindset more of, you know, I've worked hard. And I've tried to be wise with what I have and I want to make sure that when I die that the things that I value and I've invested in my life 
that those things will continue to be valued and invested in. I admire the families that have a degree of wealth that they give each of their children gifts and they see while they're living, while the parents are living, and they see how they use them and then they determine based on that how much they're going to leave to their children. I admire that. And I know there's probably some here saying, you're strange, you're weird as a $3 bill. But I'm telling you, if I'm going to use my life to create and to have stewardship resources given, I want to know that the things I love and I value are going to be valued beyond the grave in my means. I think about a family that had over $20 million of wealth left to their children. And to my knowledge, not one dollar of that was used in a way that those parents would have appreciated. I don't understand it. When it's your decision, when it's your decision to do with your possessions, why would we not make decisions that honors our values and our faith and our commitment? Ah, oh, they can figure it out on their own. Ah, oh, the end is vanity. Why do I care? Nothing's important. I'm afraid. I love my family. Which one of these are true of you? What motives are going to cause you to do what you do as you pass things on? You want your heirs to do more than you? Accomplish more? I've learned some things and surely I could help pass it on. Truth is important. I want to honor God. Character and values are important to me. I want to control my family. That's not what we're talking about is controlling our family. We're talking about controlling what is yours to pass on. You want your will to be clear. You value family traditions. You long for your children to be faithful. You know, I, I didn't appreciate the opportunity in the sense of, oh, I was looking forward to that. But I tell you, I've, I've got to appreciate a woman who, nearing the end of her life, asked me to come by her house. And several years ago, I went by her house and she said, I've got children that aren't living lives of faith. And I've done everything I could do in my life. And I figure the last opportunity I'll have is in my death because they're going to come to my funeral. She says, there's some things that I want you to specifically say to my family and let them know these are my words. I really respected that. She was passing on far more than valuables. She was doing her very best to pass on her faith. What an appropriate time to mention to you that when Miss Ann Craddock passed away, it took a little while to settle her estate, but in recent times, uh, she gave gifts to numerous good causes. Long, long list of good causes. But one of the places, one of the institutions that she wanted to leave a financial gift to was that she wanted to leave to her church family at Mount Juliet. And so once everybody's percentage was taken, just a little more than $26,000 was given to the Mount Juliet Church of Christ uh, through 
her will. It's pretty neat. You'll hear a lot more about this in the next year. Not for 2016, but for 2017, uh, we're leading a project called One Word. And it's where we're having about 50 or 60 preachers around the country to write. And they're writing resources that will help preachers write lessons, sermons. But then they're also writing devotionals so that there will be a year-long devotional five days a week. And to be able to fund this, the elders said, we don't know of a cause in helping preachers and helping people study the word that Miss Ann would believe in more so. And so around the $10,000 that we believe that will be the cost to, to carry this out, it's her gift that years after her passing will continue to bless the kingdom and those things will be put in writing which will probably bless the kingdom for decades and decades to come. As we close this lesson, I want to remind us, and, and I literally had to pick from about 20 or 30 verses that just immediately came to mind or as you begin to study the idea of our resources and stewardship, and I'm not opening something new, I'm just closing. I just want you to think about a couple of passages as we close. Matthew 16 and 26, for what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man exchange for his soul? What would we do if we realized that, you know, the most important thing is my soul? What would we do with our life if we really, really, really realized that? What would we do in investing in our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, and our church family? If we really, really believe that, what would we do differently? And then I also want you to see Proverbs, the 30th chapter and verse 7, where he says, Two things I request of you, deprive me not before I die. Remove falsehood and lies from me. Give me neither poverty nor riches. Feed me with the food allotted to me, lest I be full and deny you and say, who is the Lord? Or lest I be poor and steal and profane the name of God. Do you realize the, the simple thrust in that last portion of his request? The last portion was this. Lord, I know my weakness. I know that I can get so much that I'll start believing in me instead of believing in you. And I know that I can get so little that I would say, I'll never do anything unethical. I'll never steal. But he says, God, I know my weaknesses. And, and if I was desperate, I'm afraid that I might steal. So what was his prayer? Lord, don't give me too much. And don't give me too little. What a beautiful prayer. Not only for us, but even for our descendants. That they would never have so much that they would forget God. I hope none of our kids ever get so much education they forget God. I hope they never get so many zeros on their annual salary that they forget God. I hope their house never gets so many square footage that they forget God. I hope that we don't have so little that we forget God. Life doesn't consist of our possessions. Life consists with who we are. Who are you? If your soul 
is not right with God. Are you listening? That's all that matters. There's nothing else that matters. That's all that matters. And tonight, if there's anything that we can do to help you, encourage you, let's all leave here fully, wholeheartedly invested in God.